You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. All right. Yeah, I saw some of the names and I said, I'm going to mispronounce y'all name. So you might as well say it for it. Because people mispronounce my name all the time, all right? So, uh, with all that said, uh, we're gonna, as Monty read, we're in Genesis 3. And one thing that I really picked up while I was listening to Pastor Dan's message last week uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that, uh, that you know, our, our main problem is that because we are fallen, because after the fall, uh, we are not satisfied in God and what he gives. Um, that we are the climax of creation, and yet we... Do not live like it. We do not act like it. Uh, I'd like to just pray one more time. Go to God and ask God to help us hear this word. To help us understand his nature and his design. And how things went wrong. And how only Jesus can make it right again. Only only he can restore it. Father God, uh, we thank you for gathering us here. We thank you for last week's message as we began a new series, a storyline. How you made all of us, how you created everything. And today we're going to learn the truth about what went wrong. How it all goes bad. And Lord, as I share your word, I deliver your message, may, not, may I not be separated from the story. May I be included in the story that I am the problem and that my biggest problem is my failure to admit that I am the problem. But we thank you that you sent your son, your only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So, Lord, thank you again that you have made us the climax of your creation. We are made in your image and likeness, that you define us and show us how we constantly fall short and rather be defined by something else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Just picking up from uh, last week, we see in... Genesis 2, that God gives Adam over authority, gives him authority over the earth and commands one thing from Adam. Do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from the fruit of the the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. And a lot of times we look at this tree and we look at the fruit and we, I just want you guys to understand that when God gave Adam this command, it was not a threat. It was a symbol. And God was simply showing Adam, trust me. Trust me. See, God, our God is a relational God. And he was showing Adam, trust me. I'm God and you are not. I am God and you are not God. And the essence of sin is to put 
ourselves in a place we don't deserve to be. We don't we're not entitled to be, and that's in the place of God. That's the essence of sin. It's not just robbery. It's not just adultery. It's to put ourselves in a place that we do not deserve to be, in the position of God, the substitution that occurs. That's the essence of sin. And so Adam, by disobeying God and trusting in the serpent, He lost intimacy with God. I want to break this story down in three ways. I want us to look at what happened. And I give you a quick synopsis of that. What happened? I want to break that down more. How we became separated from God. Secondly, I want to share what now? What are the effects of sin? What are the effects? What are the byproducts and uh, the, the tremors? Of this huge mistake. And lastly, I want to share why hope. So we're going to look at what happened, what now, and why hope. Why hope? What happened? Man lost his innocence in the Garden of Eden. He lost his authority and he lost his ability to really love and to be loved. He lost the dreams, his dreams of making the world a better place. That's what Adam, that's what man lost in the garden. All because of a low-hanging fruit. All because of a tree in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve went out on a limb and trusted in the words of Satan over the word of God. Look at what Eve hears. Look at what Eve hears in uh, chapter three. In chapter three, look at what what she hears. Now, the serpent was more crafty than than the other beasts of the field, and the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" Right? And then the woman replies. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Lest you die. But in chapter 2, if you compare in verse 16, what did the Lord God directly say to Adam the man? He told him, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will, you shall surely die. He said, you will die. It's an absolute promise. You will die if you disobey me. But right here, Eve is already twisting the words or making it gently or softer. She uses the word, lest you die. Lest you die. Not surely you will die. And lest is a weird word. It's not a word we use anymore, right? right? If, you, if you take what's mine, right, we don't use lest. Right? You don't use that word, lest you die. You see, you will die. Right? It's not a bluff. It's a promise. So lest is a weird word. The intent of this word is to prevent something from happening. And God wasn't doing that in chapter 2. He was stating a consequence. You will die. And Satan, sensing that he has her, goes in for the kill. He, he directly contradicts God. Did God... 
Did God really say that? Did God really say that? So in chapter 2, verse 25, we see that Adam and Adam walked with God. Eve and Adam walked with God, and they were naked and not afraid. They were naked and not afraid. How did the separation occur? Because right here, they started to doubt the word of God. They started to doubt his statute. He started to doubt what he had said. You know, when I think about how sin and temptation starts to work in my life, one place that it really works is, B, I know what happened to everyone else around you. You know, people, um, people have premarital sex or they drink and drive. But it'll be different for you. You are the exception. You are the exception. You can live a life without consequence. That these people faced dilemma, heartache, hardship, but it will be different for you. You are the exception. And this is where I believe Adam and Eve started to believe this inception in their hearts. That they are the exception. You know, it reminds me of a scene in the movie Lion King. I remember the scene. Uh, Simba wakes up before the sun rises, and he's over the cleft of the mountain, and he's looking over, and he wants to grab his father so the father and he can enjoy the sunrise together. And he wakes his father up. He wakes him up. He says, wake up, Dad, wake up. And he finally wakes up from his slumber, and he goes out to the cleft with Simba. And they walk out to the cleft of the mountain together, and Mufasa, the father, tells his son Simba, look, son, all this is yours. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba is wild and awestruck for a few moments, and then asks, but what about that shadowy place over there? Remember? What about that shadowy place over there? To which Mufasa sternly replies, that's beyond all borders. That's beyond all borders. And this is what's happening, just like Simba, that's what's happening in the heart of Adam and Eve. Everything the light touches is theirs. God says, it's all yours. Just this one tree. Trust me, do not touch it. I'm sorry, do not eat of it. You know, Eve even adds, do not touch it, which God didn't say. But she didn't say, you will surely die. She said, lest you will die. Lest you will die. What about you guys? Have you experienced death? Rejection? Separation? Alienation? And I think it's because we think we are the exception. That we can control our lives. That we can be our own God. But... Romans 5.12 states, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is absolute evidence of Adam's sin. Death is absolute evidence of Adam's sin. Because Eve responded to the serpent and not God and ate from that tree. 
And death entered the world. And death entered the world. And there was separation. Secondly, we want to look at what now? What now? What are the effects of the fall? What are the effects of this sin? Well, there was a cosmic change, a cataclysmic change in the universe. In the beginning, as Pastor Dan talked about last week, that the order of life went about like this. It was God, it was man, it was woman, and then it was the serpent. But because of sin, at the end of verse 7, everything is flipped. Because of sin, the order, the new order of the world is now Satan, Eve, Adam, and now it's God. God is in last place. God is the least of the least. That is the cosmic change we see. It's, 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 it's so, to me, it's so humorous and perhaps ironic that we say things like, you can't judge me. God knows my heart. But we don't want to know God's heart. We don't want to know God, but we, we use him in so many different ways to get what we want. And there's a cosmic change. Everything has been flipped. Secondly, the effect of the fall. What now is not only a cosmic change, but an internal or heart change. We went from, be, we went from being declared very good on the sixth day to being, de- being total, de- totally depraved. We were perfect and pristine, like a brand new car. But now we are totaled and wrecked. And we're now we're trying to use like touch-up paint. And what we need are brand new parts. One way where I see that I use touch-up paint and, and I use decoration and I use cosmetics, even religious cosmetics, to, to try to cure my heart or to fix my heart is when I look at my good deeds. You know, when I wasn't in Christ, when I wasn't a Christian, the only reason that I did good things, the only reason I was charitable, that I was merciful, that I was benevolent, was to suppress guilt, to feel better about myself. All the good things I did for other people were always about me. I did all the right things for every wrong reason. For every wrong reason. My good deeds are always mixed with selfish and deadly ambitions, with mixed motives. A lot of you guys know that I'm in a relationship. I'm engaged, and I'll be married very soon. And I wish I could love Nikki, right? That's her name, right? I wish I could love Nikki. Um, I wish that somebody said, how did you know she was the one? Why do you love her? I wish I could just say, just because. Right? Just because. But I can't. Because deep down in my heart, even in my relationship with Nikki, I can feel it. That when I obey her, when I do what she asks, it's really about me. It's really about me. And I hope she never does this, and she hasn't by the grace of God. But if she, she, asks, if she asks me one night, baby, why do you love me? Baby, why you love me? It's a trap, right? It's a trap. <laughs> Baby, why you love me? 
And deep down inside, I know I can't say, baby, I love you because I love you. I love you just because. I love you because it's really the real reason that I, I care about Nick, the reason, real reason I love her and I love anyone is because of the way they make me feel. The way they make me look. It's about me. It's conditional. Baby, I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you're brilliant. I love you because you are bold. Well, she could quickly ask me, well, what if I'm not beautiful anymore? What if I'm not brilliant anymore? What if I'm not bold anymore? Will you still love me? There's contingencies upon that love. And we see that in our hearts. We see that in our hearts. Because now, when we obey God or we obey one another, it's out of fear, guilt, and shame. Those who are in Christ have experienced a new reason to obey God. But for those who are not in Christ, why do you follow the law? Why do you obey the commandments? It always comes from a place of fear, shame, or guilt. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be rejected. It's because our hearts are mangled and corrupt. Life is all about dating things. We don't want to marry anything. That's what I realized my whole life as I'm discovering myself through my newfound relationship with God and Nikki. My whole life, I've just been dating everything. Waiting to just detach from it. And speaking of, uh, not only this heart change, but again, this relational change. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God and with one another, but because of sin, they're now hiding. Hiding from God, hiding from one another, and last but not least, they hid from themselves. We're a stranger to God, we're a stranger to one another, and we are a stranger to ourselves. That's why we pay psychiatrists gobs and gobs of money to ask them, who am I? Who am I? Social media is the way we use this corporate (laughs) counseling. Who am I? We went from perfect communion to fear and confusion. And we see in Genesis 3, that the nature of mankind, the nature of myself, is to hide. And the nature of God is to seek. The nature of people is to hide, and the nature of God is to seek. Guys, um, you know, I've been uh, preaching and pastoring for over uh, 15 years now. And I realized that in order to be real... I have to decorate myself. Another way to put it is, just my whole life, whether I've been in Christ or not, because of these broken relationships in our lives, we can't be someone without dressing up like someone else. And this is what Adam and Eve experienced when they hid from one another and hid from God, and they put on fig leaves and loincloths. You know, I want so badly for people to like me. I want so badly for people to accept me. I want so badly 
for people to want me. You know, if you're new to this church today, you know what's, what's I just want to share something with you. You know what's scarier than bullets and bills and sometimes even death? It's, what, it's people's thoughts. It's what people think of me. It's how I'm perceived. And the effect of this, this relational change because of, this, of sin, because of the fall, is now that we are constantly playing hide-and-seek as a community. You know, church is one of the hardest places to come and be honest. It's very hard to come here and be honest with one another about our sins, about our struggles, about the madness in our lives. We just dress up like one another, and we karaoke one another. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. We, we, we can't really admit I'm not okay. Yeah. And we, we dress up like someone else to be someone in this world. You know, uh, I think one of the places that uh, I always get emotional about in the, the breakdown of relationships because of sin is within my family. You know, Christy just shared about her mother. It's in my family. That because I'm a son of an immigrant and my father and mother come from a different land, there's traditions and cultures that I just can't live up to. I can't live up to my last name. I can't live up to my ethnicity. I just can't live up. And so I'm not saying you don't experience this um, if, if you're from America, but it's just I've always been pretending I would even cheat on tests at school so I could pretend to be a good student in front of my mom and dad. Pretending. And when you pretend long enough, it creates a gulf, a chasm. And it not only happens in the home, it happens in the church. It happens everywhere, at work, in business, wherever. But going back to family, I realized the gulf or the chasm or distance between my mom and dad on my engagement day with Nikki. It was February 5th, Super Bowl Sunday, last month. And you would think that after you get engaged, the first people you would want to call and share and celebrate the good news with would be your mother and father, the people that gave you life. But I realized that they were actually the last people I wanted to call after I got engaged. And I, and I, and I, it was, uh, I was oblivious to it because while I was at the engagement party with Nikki, her mother nudged me and says, hey, B, did you call your mom and dad? And I said, mom and dad? Oh, yeah, mom and dad. Mom and dad, oh, yeah, I have a mom and dad. Right? And she said, yeah, did you call them? And I actually lied. I lied to her face. And I said, yeah, yeah, I called them. I told her later I lied. But I said, hey, I called them. But I realized I was holding it all as far as I could. And the reason was because my mom and dad are not excited that I'm marrying a black woman. They are not happy about it. And the, the people I should want to tell first, I ended up telling last that I was engaged. 
And when I called them, I was thinking, I was being hopeful and, you know, um, with eager anticipation, thinking it could be different than what's in my imagination. But when I called them, it is exactly what I expected. My father picked up. And I said, Dad, I'm engaged. And he just grunted, oh. <laughs> and he said, when are you coming back? And that was it. So there's this relational separation on all forms and, and shapes and, and phases of life that sin has infected. We cannot be honest with one another, be fully known and fully loved. And this is what sin has done. Right? Every relational rejection, breakup, is an echo of death. And I don't mean... I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be funny, but even when you pick up food, like a carton of milk or eggs, you see an expiration date. That's all of us. Even the finest marriage, the greatest home, family life, there's an expiration date. Everything ends. Everything ends. Apart from God, everything ends. And this, and this is what God is showing us in today's passage. But why hope, right? Why hope? As we, as we try to close things out today. Why hope? Right? Why hope? Because we see that sin entered the world in a garden, the Garden of Eden. But later on, we see in the Gospels, in the, cha- in, in the Gospel of Matthew, that where sin entered the world, in the Garden of Eden, in another garden, a better Adam, a true Adam, did not fall to temptation, did not wither under pressure, a fold. He was, able to, he was able to fight and draw near, even though it would cost him rejection. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, agreed that the Father's will be done in his life. Father's will will be done in his life. You could call this, as Tim Keller put it, the reversal of the tree sin. The reversal of the tree sin. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane deals with the tree which curse our lives. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is also struggling over a tree, the cross. And he needs to die on the cross for our sins and pay the penalty and is struggling to get there. He even sweat drops of blood because he didn't want to go there. And look at the contrast between Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden on a bright and sunny garden and what Jesus experienced in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane. What God told Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is obey me and you will die. In the Garden of Eden, God says, obey me and you will live. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, God says, obey me, Jesus, my son, and you will be crushed. And he did. He obeyed us. He obeyed the Father. And Jesus climbed the tree of death and turned the tree of death into life for you and me. 
The thing that I love about what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he drew near to God. He was rejected for you and me. So that now when we draw near to God, when we go to God, he will never crush us. He will never deny us. He will not abandon us, even in the middle of your sin. No matter what sin you are committing this morning, draw near to God. This is what Christ purchased. Draw near to God. Do not trust in the best 15 minutes of your life to get you into heaven, to get you right with God. I wouldn't trust the best five seconds of my life to get me right with God. We are doomed without Christ, without, without what he has accomplished for us in the Garden of Gethsemane and, of, and ultimately on the cross. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to hide from God. Because you know what God said to Adam when he was hiding from him? Where are you? Where are you? An omniscient, all-knowing God knows where Adam is. And an omniscient, all-knowing God knows where you are today. But he will still ask you, where are you? Where are you? See, man's nature is to hide, and God's nature is to seek. To seek the sinner. Where are you? And you know where healing and redemption comes, my friends? It's from telling God from the heart what he already knows about you. That's how you get saved. When you tell God what he already knows about you, that's where healing and redemption occurs. God, I'm not going to hide from you anymore. I'm going to trust in your son, Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what you died for. I'm going to tell you what you lived for. And that's where healing and redemption comes. When you tell God from the heart, all that's in your heart. And he already knows that about you. That's my greatest consolation as a Christian. That's my greatest reward Christ himself, and he knows everything about me, and he still loves me so. I want you guys to bow your heads with me. And I just want to give you a moment uh, before Pastor Dan comes up to confess, to take off the garb and the spiritual cosmetics. Don't you see, my friends, we're afraid of God because apart from Christ, God cannot stand the sight of us. But you see, without Christ, we cannot stand the sight of God. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Father sees you, he does not see your sin, does not see your shame and guilt. He sees the blood of the Son. And that's why he receives you. So consider this. Let us confess all that God already knows about us. 
And even if you are a Christian this morning, let's experience the joy of our salvation again. Thank you.